This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we've got a phenomenal program. We've got Terry Shower, a real estate coach. That's right. Real estate coach. And that might be underselling Terry Shower, who is a real estate coach, uh, an investor with hundreds of doors located in Montreal. Right. Uh, cut her teeth in Vancouver, though. That's uh, an interesting part of her story. And recently, an investor turned author with her book, Mindful Landlord, How to Run Rental Property for Profit and Peace of Mind, that was just released. And we should say she's got some amazing tips on how you make sure that the bad tenants namaste stay out. That's right. That's like, right. Let's see what That's happened right. there. That's right. Uh, but also, Matt, what we want to talk about a little bit is just before we get to this interview, she also gives some great tips about what's going on, not only in the rental world, but in Montreal and that market specifically, which is really exciting. She's got her favorite areas where she would invest in Montreal. And we know a lot of you investors out there are monitoring that market because Montreal has gone crazy. It, it is. It's, it's gone crazy. It seems like it's the, uh, the market du jour. Uh, but holy, wh- did you take French up to grade seven? <laughs> One here, here is what I, my, my point I wanted to make though, right. is that what the exciting thing Terry does apart from talks about that marketplace is some kind of universal truths about landlording that kind of turn landlording on its head, right? You, it's not so much about the Excel spreadsheet and the cash flow. All that stuff, of course, is important. It's important to Terry. But her point is, it's those soft skills. She's managing hundreds of units, hundreds of tenants, and each tenant with their own personality, uh, their own take on what is acceptable, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's those skills that is so crucial to making sure that your investment a, produces a cash flow that it should, and B, is maintained by that person living Manageable, in it. too. And yeah. manageable. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the thing, right? Because it, it's, it's when you get, like, this is what people don't realize, but especially if you're managing these properties yourself, the, the personalities, right? The person, the type of people that you have living in here, there's a way, and Terry talks about it, there's a way to make sure that you set yourself up for success and ease and comfort while you're being a property manager. That's right. So stay tuned for our talk with Terry. Before we get to that, there's a few other things. Uh, Not so big, but kind of big news. The stats were released this morning. The stats were released. And if you want to get on our stats list, you just go over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com and sign up for the live wire, our our 
bi-weekly newsletter. We're sending out those stats today, so the real estate board stats, but also the sales ratio that break down each community specifically. And we've said on the show before, this is a hyper-local market, right? or hyper, real estate's always hyper-local, but right now, Local markets are telling different stories in the stats overall. Yeah. Um, and, and we should say, and that's in stark contrast to yesteryear where we were much more in kind of a global operating market. Right, right now, yeah. the, the hyper-local aspect of the market is, is one that people are paying attention to. And the areas where people want to be are, and, and livable homes are still very much vibrant. And, and that product is moving if it's priced correctly. But the stats overall are uh, a little underwhelming. A little underwhelming, a little humdrum. Uh, it's kind of more of the same. I think it's the slowest June since 2000 is uh, kind of the big headline here. Y2K. Y2K, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we all remember. Planes dropping out of the sky. Yeah, right. I actually remember, uh, and this feels like, God, it was 19 years ago. It feels like it could have been 1,000 years ago when we were all worried that the... Uh, that the speedometer was going to stop and uh, the planes were going to drop. I got a great deal on a flight to Cuba that year. You took a, you rolled the dice. I rolled the dice. And, and uh, how I much to tell about it? How, what? How, I what think did you it was, pay it was like a hundred bucks or under a hundred bucks, which at the time seemed like exceedingly good value. Uh, last minute flight to Cuba. It was fantastic. Did you have to check your dreadlocks? <laughs> <laughs> did they let you those take them on the plane? Those were different times. <laughs> yeah, those were different times. Um, so Matt's trip to Cuba, Y2K. Yeah, uh, stay tuned. That's next podcast. But to summarize, Matt, the market basically is is more of the same. And, and you were actually saying, like, you had a conversation with someone where they were saying, if you take the west side of Vancouver and West Vancouver out. And specifically so, single-family homes and So like the high price, price point stuff. Yeah. It, it turns out that it's actually a fairly balanced market, but obviously these stats are reflective of all price points. That's right. The other the other kind of key takeaway is I think the composite index, the residential composite index, is a f- under a million for the first time since uh, early 2017. So, but again, that's that's kind of large scale macro doesn't tell you much about your own community to be honest sure 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 um so what else do we got before we cut to our interview with terry yeah something a little bit more exciting than the stats maybe uh the fact that we're giving away another larry beasley uh book here vancouverism so this is an interesting thing we've got a lot of signed copies of the larry beasley book vancouverism it is a beautiful book it's like one of the best coffee table books i've ever seen but it's also a great book if you want, if you just love Vancouver and you want to learn about Vancouver and how it became what it is, today. it's it's a this thing is a, a really well thought out book for a variety of reasons. I feel like we've talked about the the long and short is you're going to want a copy, and the way to get a copy signed by the man himself, Larry Beasley, is to go to Google, type in Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. On the right hand side, you're going to see uh, the Google Business page. I think it is. You're going to want to write a review there and. Uh, we're drawing every week from that list. Chris McPhee was the first winner. Yes. We got another winner today. And dare I say, we're going to have another winner next week. So we we keep might. Those so reviews keep those coming. reviews coming for sure. Yeah. And we appreciate them. And it is the best way you can help us grow this podcast totally. is by leaving us a review or getting in touch absolutely all the time. But Matt, let's not bury the lead here. We've got a great episode today with Terry Shower. Enjoy, guys. Okay, so we're here with Terry Shower, real estate investor, property manager, and author of Mindful Landlord, How to Run a Rental Property for Profit and Peace of Mind. Welcome, Terry. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for taking the time today, Terry. So, Terry, uh, you're in Montreal currently, um, and we know that you're really involved in uh, investing in real estate. Can you start maybe by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Um. So I actually started managing properties uh, when I was 19. Um, I lived in Toronto and I went to University of Toronto. And when I moved out there, I grew up in Montreal. So when I moved out to Toronto, um, I ended up, there was no space in student residence. So I ended up moving into this like crazy Victorian mansion um, with 15 other students living there that had no manager. And one thing led to another and I kind of ended up like supervising that for the uh, two years that I lived there. And then I discovered that I was good at it, and um, then I actually moved to Vancouver, and I went to uh, Simon Fraser for a couple of years, and I set up a similar thing when I moved to Vancouver. So I didn't buy a property there, but I rented a big house and decided, you know, I'm kind of good at managing property, and like I also like this aspect of living with, uh, you know, a bunch of people and kind of having that community. So 
I set up a house like that that I then ran in Vancouver for the time that I was studying there. And then when I moved back to Montreal, um, I decided, okay, well, I've been managing these kind of properties for a couple of years now. Um, let me set this up for myself. And that's kind of how I became an investor and started um, buying properties that I ran initially as like sort of a student rental, like kind of a student community. And then eventually uh, that turned into me opening a property management company and kind of doing real estate full time. But that whole process from, you know, kind of a student sideline to it being my main thing that took about 10 years. And um, so I've been full time in real estate for, I guess it's been 10, 12 years now. And, and if I under- if I understand Terry, you started as kind of, um, being a tenant yourself and then yeah. kind of organizing uh, a place to live with other tenants and kind of subletting and then moving yes. to owning real estate and managing it as well as managing other people's uh, portfolios. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, what ended up happening was once I started investing, what happened to me is kind of the same thing that happens to a lot of people who start investing is that at a certain point you get tapped out of borrowing capacity. And at that point, I was, you know, getting it more into real estate. I'm like, look, I have a good business model for managing properties. Why don't I sell my business model to other people? Because at that particular moment, I wasn't able to, like, qualify for any more mortgages. So that's then kind of how that turned into, like, a, a management practice. So, so one thing that struck me just by your your answer there, Terry, is you realized pretty early on you're you're good at it. Um, good at property management. We have a lot of kind of mom and pop investors that listen to the show, a lot of people aspiring to become uh, real estate investors. Can you talk a little bit about what it means to be good at it? Mm-hmm. No, that's a really good question because I think, you know, there there's really two sides to um, being a real estate investor. And one of them is more sort of the investment financial side of it, which is, you know, pretty kind of impersonal, like pretty like accounting heavy. Obviously, you have to uh, have some risk tolerance and have some knowledge of like the market principles that are at work. And then there's like really the practice of landlording, which is a completely different ballgame because it's much more hands-on and physical. So there's, you know, the physical aspect of like understanding construction and how buildings work. And then there's the whole human aspect, which is you know, dealing with tenants, which is kind of a, you know, a science unto itself. And then dealing with all of the human aspects of, you know, contractors and lawyers and real estate agents and basically like the whole human side that goes along with being an investor. And so I would say like, if for people who are like looking at getting into investing, like there are two sets of skills and they're like really very different sets of skills. And I think it's quite rare that people come in um, and are really good at both of those things. And I think like, you know, some people will be really good at the hands-on human side and like for them, then the financial more accounting side is is a challenge or the reverse. Um, And I would say like, don't approach that as if those are innate talents. Like there's resources out there to help you get better at either of those two things. And I think, you know, like for me, definitely the financial side was like a real big struggle at the beginning. Like I learned the human stuff kind of like by being a tenant myself and kind of growing up through it. But like the whole financial banking calculations aspect, I was completely in the dark for a really long time. And that held me back until I learned it. So I think um, it's good to approach the whole thing like as, as a set of skills that you can learn. So that's a great answer, Terry. So I'm just thinking about how the type of um, property management you were doing. Were you were you still kind of looking at student housing and and kind of replicating that model that that where you started off? Um, Well, you know, that's definitely how I built my personal portfolio and how I built my business. But I would say like the um, market in Montreal really has undergone a, a massive amount of change in the last 10 years. And when I started, um, we were in a market where it was pretty tough to find tenants. Uh, properties were really cheap, but the quality of tenants was not great. And so the real name of the game was how do you uh, like sort of um, upscale, like how do you upsell your rents? How do you, how do you get better rents? And how do you have tenants who are going to treat your properties properly? And for me, like at that point, the student rental, like 
young people coming into Montreal was kind of a sweet spot because it allowed me to like have higher rents and also have tenants that were like, you know, not on social assistance or, or didn't have like certain kinds of social problems that the population in Montreal had back then. Now the rental market in Montreal is super different. And, you know, for the first time this year, we have conditions that were similar to, you know, Toronto a couple of years ago, where we have 20 people lining up for every unit that we have. And as a result, like property prices have gone up a lot too. So when like the Montreal market started picking up, I'd say like, you know, five to eight years ago, I transitioned away from student rentals and actually don't do that anymore. But it's not because I don't want to do it. It's kind of because the Montreal market shifted and I kind of don't need to do that anymore to upsell my rent. But it was a really good model at a certain time. Can we talk, um, before we get to your book, Terry, can we talk a little bit about the Montreal market and and maybe how it has changed um, and maybe what you're focusing on now in terms of building your portfolio? Yeah, so, I mean, like I said, I think Montreal as a city has really changed a lot in the last, my gosh, 20 years. Um, You know, I think 20 years ago, we were in a situation where, you know, there was the last referendum and there was a fair amount of political instability and that really hurt the Montreal economy a lot. And then that whole issue got sort of buried and, you know, with the Canadian economy also picking up, like, and Montreal becoming very specialized in, um, like, our big industries here are IT and uh, uh, aerospace. And those things have really, like, taken off in the last while. And so I feel like Montreal economically has gotten a lot of, of the positive uh, fallout of, of the, that economic change. And then I think also in the last five years, um, Montreal, Toronto, uh, sorry, Vancouver and Toronto, like the other big Mont- uh, Canadian markets have become very pricey. And I think as investment spaces, they have started to make less sense. And then you also have the foreign buyer taxes that have come into play, like in Vancouver and in Ontario. And I think Montreal is like kind of the next major Canadian city that has now come on the map for people. So I think for foreign investors and also for, um, you know, Canadians looking for a place to put their money, like a lot of money has started coming into Montreal from outside of Montreal. Right. Um, and we also like get, because uh, Montreal is the next biggest French city other than Paris and things are not going very well in France at the moment. We also have like a huge influx of um, French from France, people emigrating here and culturally they tend to be people who want to purchase property like almost immediately. Um, the native Quebecers uh, actually have the highest percentage of renters in all of Canada. Like right. home ownership is not really that popular among, let's say, the Quebecois. But all of the people who are who come into Montreal from the outside are much more into real estate and real estate as investors. So I think all of those things have sort of influenced the Montreal investment market. One thing that strikes me about uh, Montreal and Quebec as opposed to the rest of Canada, is it does seem, from an outsider looking in, like a much more complicated pit, picture. Yes. Um, yes. In terms of even the fact that, you know, we have a guy, he's no longer on our team, but from Montreal, who <laughs> informed us that you have to, usually you take your appliances with you when you when you move out yeah. as a tenant. Uh, but but also down to the Quebecois, the, the French-English divide, the language divide. And it sounds like you grew up there, but is it a market that... that people from the rest of Canada, um, you know, is it too complicated for the for the rest of Canada? Um, I mean, like, I, I don't know that there's a blanket statement to that. It kind of depends on the kind of investor you are. Like, for sure, you, you I want to say you can't really invest effectively here unless you have some kind of solution for, for the French-English thing. Because, uh, you know, so our leases, most of your tenants are going to be French. I, I work 95% of my professional life is in French. I'm bilingual, so that's not a problem. Um, but for somebody who doesn't speak French, like the leases, the contracts will be in French. If you go to the rental board, the judge will refuse to speak English 95% of the time. Um, the tenancy laws here are also different. Like we have kind of our own ecosystem. Like <laughs> for example, this weekend, July 1st is moving weekend. So all leases in Quebec finish on July 1st. So I have 15 moves that I'm going to be babysitting in the next three days wow. um so you can imagine happy also, like, canada day trucks. <laughs> oh no it's crazy well because they're trying to kill canada day right? <laughs> <laughs> there is no canada day here <laughs> but uh but the, i mean even that in itself is like a bit idiosyncratic because all of our lease renewals happen before march 31st and the whole 
yearly schedule is on, kind of on, runs on this like Quebec time zone that's a bit counterintuitive for people from other provinces. But I think like most of my clients uh, who I manage properties for are either European or from the rest of Canada. So if you have a good property manager here or a good team who knows what's going on, I think it's something that can you can do well on, um, not just in Montreal, but also like in Quebec in general. But like you need someone on the ground here who kind of understands the Quebec ecosystem or else you have to be willing to, you know, learn some French and familiarize yourself with it. And I think that's kind of a like a, a blessing in disguise for people who want to specialize in this market because there are those barriers to entry. Um, it kind of like protects the Quebec market also a bit from too many investors coming in from outside. And so you're able to make money here maybe in a way that you couldn't elsewhere just because this market is kind of insulated by those complications in a way. Right. Right. No, that makes sense. That, that, that definitely makes sense. So what about um, maybe just changing gears here a bit, Terry, I, I, I'm so curious by the title of your book, um, the mindful landlord. So when we mm-hmm. typically think of mindfulness, it's, it's often not associated with real estate, but can you kind of bridge the gap and kind of address like what, what is your book really trying to get at? Yeah. So, you know, at the beginning of the discussion, I kind of mentioned that there are these, um, you know, two aspects to real estate investing. There's like sort of the more financial accounting aspect. And then there's really this like more human physical aspect, uh, which I'll be honest, like most of my clients who have trouble are people who have trouble with the human side of things. So dealing with tenants, dealing with the frustration, dealing with the fact that, you know, someone who lives in your property uh, probably is not going to take care of it the way you do. And if you want to, you know, make money or make a, a kind of a, a career or a sideline as a serious investor, you kind of have to make peace with those things. Um, and that's where, you know, I found that part of what's made me successful in this, you know, in the, in, in the way that I do real estate is just like the mindfulness aspect that I am able to be patient with tenants. I'm able to, um, you know, keep my eyes on the prize in a sense, which is that, you know, people are going to damage stuff, but if you build that into your equations of your, you know, how you manage your costs, how you manage your cash flow, like, yes, it's frustrating when someone doesn't take care of a unit, but at the same time, if you just see that as like a, the cost of doing business, it's much easier to um, not let that ruin your quality of life. Um, so I think that's, that's one thing. And then the other thing is, um, so I also, I've been doing um, combat sports for a really long time and uh, in like you know fighting and competing and that stuff i really realized how much mindset affects absolutely everything you do and be that from undertaking you know succeeding as a real estate investor or like wanting to win a world championship or whatever it is the more you're able to align your mental habits with what you want to achieve the more seamlessly that's going to happen so you're going to have less friction um, with the world around you, and you're also going to be able to maybe succeed at a level that's that's higher than if your mind is not aligned. And so for me, I guess, I, you know, I talk about real estate investing or landlording as a practice, and that's where, to me, like anytime you practice anything, doing it in a mindful way allows you to be flexible with your mind and allow, and have it adapt so that it's going to let you get at what you want to get at so right yeah no that's 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 fascinating because we often we you know we often talk about um the amount of preparation up front before you actually rent a property and how important it is to kind of um iron out all the clauses and all parts of the property what's what's available for use what are the rules um you know what 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 you want to go over with the potential tenant in the first place and how a lot of upfront prep can result in a much better experience as a landlord. Um, but it is kind of taking the time actually uh, to make sure that you, you execute things correctly. And then, like you said, I mean, dealing with it is, is half dealing with how to respond when things yeah. don't go your way is, is yeah. more than half the battle, I think. And, and it's yeah. part of it's, it's one of the things that turns people off of real estate investing and being a landlord altogether, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like, I mean, if I can just give one concrete example that's going to make this super clear, it's like just the aspect of communication. Okay. So I right now manage uh, about 100 doors. 
um, of which, let's say, there are multiple people in each door. So we're looking at maybe like something like 250 tenants. And you can imagine the amount of phone calls and leaky toilets and bed bugs and like all kinds of stuff that that generates on a daily basis. And if you don't want to go nuts with that, you have to, you know, sit down, have a conversation with yourself about how do I want to just manage the communication aspect of this? Do I want to have text message conversations with people at 12 o'clock at night? Or do I want to have a business line where people, you know, can speak to someone nine to five and outside of those hours, they leave a phone message. Do I want people to communicate with me by email? Um, what's an appropriate time for me to respond to people? You know, like if you just sit down and like mindfully think, how is communicating with my tenants not going to destroy my life? Then educate people on how to communicate with you and then stick to those policies. Just if you address that specific thing and then you're that mindful about all those other little aspects of landlording, you can really structure things in a way that it's not going to make you crazy. But if you don't take the time to sit down make those plans, do it in an intelligent way that's going to fit into a full life, um, you're going to burn yourself out of, of landlording because it, it really it can be quite frustrating if you don't manage it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and it's worth saying um, almost with anything, don't wait till you have, you know, three, four or a hundred doors. That That's something that even if you, you buy your first investment property, I think it's worth implementing those types of strategies from from day one, you know, operate like you're a big, a big business and, and think through the way you want to, uh, to approach landlording, I guess. But obviously there's going to be learning, learning along the way, but it's, it's worth thinking hard, uh, at, at the start. Um, one thing I, I had a question for you, Terry. So it sounds like soft skills are kind of, are very important, um, uh, for your business and the type of business you do, we have a, a lot of a lot of investor clients. We have our our number people, and it sounds like you deal with a mm-hmm. lot of those people as well. Mm-hmm. Would you be recommending that these guys that are maybe a little bit better with with the kind of number side and not so so great with the kind of soft skills be using a property manager, or do you think these are these are kind of skills that you can that you can learn? Um, well, I mean, look, can you learn them? I think we all have a learning curve on pretty much anything. How much should you be making it your life's business to be frontline with your tenants if you absolutely are not awesome with people skills? Like if you're really a numbers person, like I don't think you should be trying to single-handedly manage a hundred units where you're the, the personal front line of that if that's kind of not where your skills are, but I would definitely say, I think that people, when they have one, two, three units, um, that they should start out managing themselves, even if they can afford a manager, because as you then go and hire someone, interview that person, oversee what that person's doing. If you have no clue what they're doing, you're really opening up a whole can of worms, uh, for somebody to maybe, not work as effectively as they could and for you to not necessarily understand what they're doing. So I'll give you an example. Um, when I got into investing, I had no clue about plumbing and I got, you know, gouged so many times and had people like, you know, quote, very ineffective wrong solutions, do patch jobs that weren't good because I just didn't understand enough about plumbing to know when someone was taking me for a ride and I'm not, I'm not a plumber. I've never touched plumbing tools in my life, but I know enough now that I can manage the plumber. Mm-hmm. And I think property management is really very similar to that in that if at the beginning you take an active interest in your properties, sign a couple of leases yourself, do whatever you need to do to understand that aspect of the business. And then when you come to hiring a manager, you're going to, first of all, know what questions to ask them. And secondly, be able to check in with them in a way that's like, okay, well, how did you do your renewals? How did you do your rent increases? Um, what decisions did you make with maintenance? And it's going to allow you to have a much more informed conversation with that person. And I really think that that's very necessary because if there's one person who can really take you for a ride with your investments, it's the manager because they see so much of those expenses. They participate in selecting tenants. Like a good manager will make your investments a success. A bad manager will drive them into the ground. That's fantastic advice. Uh, how do you 
go about selecting a tenant? You you said you manage a uh-huh. hundred doors. I mean, yeah. you've, you've probably <laughs> seen it all. How how what does the vetting process look like for you? Yeah. So there's actually like a whole chapter on this in the book um, because it's it's a bit of a protracted thing. But if I can try to do it for you real quick, like, so the first thing we do is we really try to make the units as attractive as possible. So we get professional photographers uh, to come. It's, that's really quite cheap. It costs us like 80 bucks plus tax. Um, so we have the best possible pictures. Um, we also advertise like in, in Quebec, what works well is a site called Kijiji, um, maybe in other markets, it's something else. But so we, you know, I have an assistant who puts up my ads every single morning and I really try to make the units as visible as possible because I want to have the biggest pool of responses as possible. And then, um, I have my person who answers the phone. So before it was me, but now it's, it's an assistant who has like a phone screening script of like five questions. So she's asking how many people are going to live in the unit? Um, do you have, what's your credit like? Uh, what's your employment situation? And basically she's trying to then book visits, but she's also trying to weed out anybody who's going to not fit our criteria for selection. Because another unpleasant thing that can happen is if you have someone who visits the unit and they want it, and then they don't qualify, then you can kind of get into some nasty interactions with them. So we try to not even do visits with people who are not pre-qualified on the phone. Then we bring them into the unit, book a visit, and then have them fill out like a classic tenant application with, um, we check credit, we check reference of their old owner, we check their job, we check criminal background. Um, And then also in Quebec, we have this great thing that we can check uh, any rental board decisions. So if anyone has been at the rental board, like we have access to that information to know like what, what happened. Um, and then once we've checked those things, then if we like what we see, uh, then we'll go ahead and sign the lease with the person. But, um, I would say of all of those things, the main piece of information that I keep my eye on is the credit report. Uh, because in my experience, like that's really what ends up being the litmus test for how that person is going to behave. Doesn't mean necessarily that someone with poor credit is not going to pay the rent, but it is generally reflective of their attitude towards their obligations. So how are they going to communicate with me? How are they going to handle their responsibilities? How are they going to take out the garbage? Like someone with poor credit very often has taken their eye off of some ball that they should have had it on. <laughs> and so <laughs> that if I have only one piece of data I can look at, um, I'll look at the, at the credit report. How much of it is, is gut in the end for you? Pretty much zero. Interesting. Um, like, yeah, like, I mean, I've had some very, very charming people that like once I put my nose into their affairs and like, you know, their, their app, their, the hard part of their application was a complete disaster. Um, and I was like, oh, I'm going to give them a chance. That never worked out well. The only time when I will pay attention to the soft part is when I have someone who has an awesome application, but they're very complicated through the application process. So, you know, like, especially in Quebec, we have, like, it's a pretty tenant-friendly environment, and there are, like, all these rules about, like, what questions you can and can't ask and what things tenants can and can't demand. And when someone's very demanding through the application process, even if they have a credit, I'm going to privilege somebody else because I don't want a difficult person in there. Um, But other than that, I'm really, like, looking very much at at the hard data to the exclusion almost sometimes of what my impression of the people will be because I've been really wrong. But people who give me a great impression and have bad uh, a bad application. It's interesting. I think I just was speaking to my neighbor yesterday who has a suite in his basement, and he said he was talking about his the overwhelming response he had because uh, he's looking to rent it out right now. And somebody came charging in. Um, he said, "Nice enough," but uh, she said. I have a deposit. I really want this place. And there's two or three other groups there and everybody was kind of uncomfortable. And he said, okay, okay, I'm going to, you know, please, I'll, I'm going to do a selection process. And then he called everyone and said, okay, I've made my selection and it wasn't her. And she said, I'll give you a hundred dollars more a month. Uh, then he was asking, which kind of took a, you know, took him aback. Um, but then he made the point, he actually decided not to to go with her and then the hundred dollars kind of confirmed that because he thought if she's this aggressive through this process what's she like if mm. there's if there's going to be issues or my kids are running you know uh, upstairs and there's a little bit of noise or those types of things but anyway um 
in in terms of the the kind of nature of people i don't know yes yes absolutely no absolutely and when i think of like you know we all have like our tenant nightmare stories but like i've had a couple of <laughs> trying to find the right word for this but like super neurotic people who like of course they have a credit because they're so neurotic about everything <laughs> that it has to be completely perfect but then they're also very neurotic about the way that I'm allowed to communicate with them or if ever we have any maintenance to do, um, you know, the maintenance guys or like just somebody who's high maintenance in general mm -hmm. is going to be a high maintenance tenant. Even if they do everything right and they pay the rent on time, that's not the only kind of irritant you can have. Right. So. <laughs> no, high maintenance people need not apply yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and one one other question for you, Terry. The you know Montreal. It sounds like, and you've kind of witnessed uh, an interesting period in in the Montreal market where it's kind of transitioned from a higher vacancy rate. Um, you know, with a, its own set of challenges. To I think I just saw Montreal's vacancy rate now is under two percent. Um, so it's and prices are kind of going, you know, yeah. in the way that Vancouver's market has been for some time. But it's I think the markets are kind of more similar now uh, than they were previously. What what do you look for in an in an investment property right now? Like what what rents the best? What what are some of the the criteria that you put forth when you're looking at at an investment property yourself? So like, let's say if I had money to invest today in Montreal, what would be my advice? Exactly. Yeah. What would you be looking yeah. for? Yeah. So, I mean, to me, um, the, the, it's the ratios that are a bit starting to get a bit off right now in some areas in the city. So let's say, you know, um, if you know Montreal a little bit, like definitely downtown or the plateau, um, anything that's like central on the Metro grid is starting to not make so much sense uh, cash flow wise now. Right. Um, and the rents are pretty much like if there have been things that have turned over lately, um, there's not that much, let's say growth for, for rents just because of what the household income is here. So I think while sale prices are going up, rent prices are not going to be able to follow as quickly just because of the disposable income that people have. Um, so for me, it would really be a question of, of neighborhoods now. And there are, you know, some neighborhoods like, uh, let's say, um, I, I'm actually looking at probably buying another building before the end of the year. And I'm thinking of um, Lachine or LaSalle, uh, if, if that in Montreal means anything. It's kind of another area that's been a little bit neglected by gentrification. Um, and I think that that's, you know, in general, certain areas of Montreal have gentrified pretty quickly in the last 10 years or have kind of gone through their gentrification curve. And then there's maybe, you know, two or three areas, let's say on the South shore or um, in the West end, or even in the far East end pockets that have not gone through that process yet. And so as I'm like going through and, you know, making recommendations for, for where people should look at buildings, um, definitely they need to keep their eye on cash flow, and it's to try and get into those pockets that have still, that get ahead of like get behind the gentrification curve good advice i hope <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh terry you you do have a, a history with vancouver and if you if you still know the city quite well we do have a, a segment called the five wire five quick questions about vancouver can you stick around for that i can i i hope that like i was you know i lived in vancouver oh god like 13, 14 years ago. So oh, this will be fun date, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But okay. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> um, so first of all, what is your favorite neighborhood in Vancouver? Well, I used to live in um, East East Van around the Renfrew. Uh, Renfrew and, oh God, let me remember. What the, McGill and Renfrew near the P&E. Oh, oh yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, re I really loved living there, actually. Nice. Yeah, I was just like what facing, I would get up every morning and look out at the Burrard Inlet, so... <laughs> beautiful that's uh that's great favorite re bar or restaurant <sighs> oh god <laughs> slow can no, maybe too, yeah <laughs> no you know what i'm too out of, i'm too out of date what about that. in montreal oh, no. we we'll take oh, a montreal a one <laughs> you know you know what there was this place that i really used to like called i think it was called the coffee bean uh, yeah. which was on Renfrew, if I'm not confused. That's, myself. uh, it's right like by that. where you used to live. It's still there. Yeah. Oh no, is that yeah. the, <laughs> laugh, the laughing bean, the laughing bean. They've, laughing they, bean. Yeah. 
Thank you. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is that? On it, it might have. It, it's like Hastings and Slocan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right across the street from the Slocan. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a good one. We haven't had the <laughs> laughing bean on <laughs> on the podcast before. <laughs> oh, very nice. Um, well, 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 this, this will be a Montreal specific question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where do you bring someone uh, from out of town first place when they visit Montreal? Like first uh, establishment or first area? First area. You want to show them the city. What's what's the best place? Um, the old port. Very good answer. Next question for you, Terry. If you could give yourself one piece of real estate advice, uh, your 18-year-old self, one piece of real estate <laughs> advice, what would it be? Buy as many buildings as possible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel like I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to put a little asterisk there. Like, you know, now with in hindsight, looking at what happened with the buildings that I purchased in Montreal starting 15 years ago, you know, I, I had so many opportunities that I angsted over and was like, you know, how am I going to manage this and how am I going to deal with it? And like, I, I would have owned today twice as many properties had I talked myself out of those kind of defeatist worries. And if I look at what's happened by just being in the Montreal market without doing anything exceptional, that's been so great that I, you know, had I, I would have just liked to have been more aggressive early on. That's that's a common piece of advice from people that have been very successful with real estate investing, and I think it's a great one for sure. Take action. Take action. Um, yes. But uh, and the final question: What is something that you've purchased for under five hundred dollars that has had a very positive impact on your life in the last year or two? No, since oh, since, since day since, dot, man. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, look, I think like a lot of people who get into into real estate, like the um, I bought rich dad, poor dad when I was like 21, 22 years old. And I was, you know, managing those like grotty student places. And it really, if there was one seminal thing that completely changed the way I looked at things, like it, that book really made me understand the pitfalls of having, let's say a classic employment pattern where you um, end up working as an employee and own your principal residence and pay maximum tax. And I feel like I was lucky enough that I happened on that very early on in my professional life. So I never ended up going the route of becoming an employee. But, uh, and I think that book must have cost me like 10 bucks at the time. So right. best investment I ever made and really like set me on this path. So we, you know, we love that book as well. And, and obviously a lot of people, I mean, obviously it's a, a huge book in, in the industry and for real estate investors, but you'd be surprised how many people have not read that book that own rental properties or are in the industry. It's it's actually quite shocking, but uh, good recommendation. Yeah, and you read it quite young. That's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was lucky. Twenty one is a good time I to even, be reading that book. That's it. I don't even know how I came onto it, but like, if I could make a recommendation for like schools now, like you know, I'm not sure that everybody needs to learn calculus, but like everybody should be reading Rich Dad Poor Dad and like having some basic financial education. So. Yeah. I just I just saw something about this yesterday. Like, uh, thanks for not teaching me how to file my taxes, and I appreciate the square dancing lessons or something. <laughs> there you go. Um, but anyway, so how can how can people find out more about you, Terry, and obviously more about your book? Um, the best place to go really is my website, which is uh, terryshower.com. Um, and then obviously, you know, any social media I'm on: uh, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, LinkedIn. And those are really kind of the, the feeder places if you want to have, like, you know, I have a bunch of, um, you know, short YouTube videos, uh, some recommended readings, and then obviously you can find out more about the book and um, actually just launched an online property management course as well. So all of the links to all that stuff are on the website. Fantastic. Right on. Yeah. Well, thanks again for taking the time. Yes. Well, thanks, guys. It's been fun. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Terry Shower, investor, author, property manager, Montreal native, former Vancouverite. This was a, it was a great show, You're great conversation. Reading, reading off a list over there, Matt. <laughs> um, really enjoyed our conversation with Terry. Yeah, lots of great takeaways there for investors and for people that are managing properties themselves. Make sure you grab yourself a copy of Mindful Landlord, How to Run Rental Property for Profit and Peace of Mind. 
Do yourself a favor. Peace of mind is one of the most important things when you're dealing with cash flow and then just maintaining a business that you're building, a portfolio that you're building. And I think that's really what Terry gets to. Well, that's what she gets to. And the other thing, and it's it's something that comes up all the time, but it's worth repeating. And it's a conversation I have with people all the time too, especially if you're in early days of real estate investing and you're looking at acquiring your first, second, third door, where people kind of hit the rocks uh, is in a situation where they bite off more than they can chew. Sure. Right? And then it becomes troublesome. It ruins your life. It stresses you out. And you're like, this is not for me. An easy rental is a, is a good idea. And easy tenants is one way to make that process nice and smooth and streamlined. And uh, and listening to folks like Terry is a, is a good way to get started. Absolutely. And, and learning from that experience, because we should say too, a lot of people, they it's not even so much biting off more than they, they can chew, but they select the wrong tenant. And then they have this nightmare experience. And then they just say, you know what? I'm done with this. And I'm, not, I'm not doing this yeah. anymore. And that's, that's really unfortunate because a lot of people that would be fantastic property managers, if they would just take the time to kind of properly learn how to screen tenants up front and build an infrastructure, build systems to make sure that this is actually a, a, a real business that you're operating, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what you have to do. And, and really, I mean, that's, don't sell yourself short. You probably are a good landlord, but just learn from the best. And who better than someone like Terry who has a, a couple hundred doors? Yeah, that's right. Don't quit before the miracle, right? Uh, before... Before we end today, though, we got to announce our winner. So we put every name in the hat from all these reviews. Thank you so much again, everyone. And And we will continue to put all the names of future reviews and past reviews on Google into the hat. And we will be sending out more books in the future signed by Larry Beasley himself. And Matt, now what everybody's been waiting for, we have this week's winner for the book Vancouverism signed by Larry Beasley. Drum roll, please. Secret? Okay, uh, sounds like a Secret is really focusing on those drum rolls more than anything else involved. We should in say he is—he's got a drum kit at home. He's taking his time. Uh, he actually—he didn't come in today. He was focused exclusively on the drum solo. I can't even believe that that took. Or all on the day. drum roll, I should say. Yeah, yeah. Although but, it's it's becoming a bit more like a solo. Um, we should but uh, let's 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 say who it is. All right, Stefan Mueller. Stefan Mueller. Mueller. Congratulations. Congratulations, Stefan. His review is great podcast about everything Vancouver real estate. Amazing guests and knowledgeable as well as fun hosts. Oh, thanks. Adam and Matt. Thanks. Highly recommended. So thank you very much, Stefan. You have won Vancouverism by Larry Beasley. Super excited for you, Stefan. You're going to love this book. And Matt, what else do we have for today? What else do we have? We have VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. So head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, especially if you're interested in those stats. We're sending them out today. We send them out every month. We got the sales ratios broken down by neighborhoods as well. We also got the live wire goes out every week. We got the deal of the month. We're sending out assignments, screaming deals on assignments that aren't on MLS. All of that over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We also have private client services. Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You get realtor-level information. It's at your fingertips. It's free. It's updated about 36 to 72 hours before public MLS, and it is phenomenal at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. That's right. If you're not using PCS to search Vancouver Real Estate, you're doing it wrong. And I think that's about it. If well, you... it's almost it, Matt, but we cannot emphasize enough how excited we are for our guest who's coming actually on the program oh. tomorrow, but it's going to be released next week. Ooh, returning guest. Francis Beulah. Francis Beulah. She's been on the show before. Uh, fan favorite. Fan favorite. This is a woman who knows Vancouver better than better than most, that's for sure. Maybe anyone. And she's also just a super interesting, interesting person. We so, always love chatting with Francis and can't wait to have her back on the program tomorrow. That's right. Yeah, so stick around for that. And if you want to talk about that or anything Vancouver real estate related at all, 
Give me a shout, 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We also got that secret screen line who's not here. I think he's off uh, perfecting his single paradiddle. Yeah, he's on the 808s. Uh, info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. All right, guys, have a great week, and we'll see you next week. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer, and they're looking for both donations, and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020.